Welcome to the Good Grow Great podcast, everyone, where we join you and other intelligent entrepreneurs out there in solving for meaningful growth without having to change maybe how you're introverted or without having to revamp everything that you love doing. Here, we look at fundamental and also unexpected ways, stories, and examples that can help you grow you and your business. I'm your host, Talia Toha. Grow solvers, let's get growing. Welcome back to the podcast, everyone. Today's guest is Paul Maskill, the CEO and founder of the Ultimate Freedom Mastermind. After building his own business from zero to 500K in just four years and selling it for a lucrative return, Paul set out on a new mission. He watched his father pour everything he had into his own service-based business for 40 plus years until he could physically no longer do the work. With no employees and no systems, Paul's father was not able to capitalize on all of the work and risk he had put in for four decades. Today, Paul helps other small business owners automate their business so it can thrive without them, enabling them to leverage their business to build a life that they love. Paul, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much. Excited to be here. Amazing. So let's talk about how you got started. I know in the intro, we talk a little bit about your father. What does your dad have anything to do with your decision making here? And what was it like to watch his experience and kind of made you decide to do what you do today? Yeah. So, I mean, that's, that's a pretty loaded question. I mean, there's all sorts of things intertwined there. So originally growing up, we grew up in Michigan, which was very blue collar. Uh, so, you know, you either worked for one of the motor companies in the factory working on the line, or you kind of ran your own trade business, whether it's fixing cars, you know, home service business. So he was in the home service world. He did hardwood floors. Uh, and everybody, basically, not just him, but everybody said, go to school, get a good job, get good grades, do that thing, climb the corporate ladder so you don't have to do the physical work. So long story short, that's what I did. And that really wasn't gratifying at all. But what I really learned from him was, you know, the customer service that he was putting in and the customer experience that he was delivering and how he was really able to build a brand because he did what most, you know, home contractors didn't do. He showed up on time. He answered the phone. He did what he said he was going to do. He was honest and all the other things, you know, and then the rest kind of fell into place. Now, the flip side of that was he was the only one, like you said, to ever do that for his company. So, uh, you know, he, he had the knowledge, he had the experience, he had the expertise and he built a really powerful brand where people were willing to wait, you know, three, six, nine months for him to come do the work that they wanted him to do, even though there was a lot of other people doing it. So unfortunately doing a physical business, if you don't hire a team and you don't have the systems and processes at some point, you physically can no longer do that. Uh, you know, and so that's really what it came to be. He was, I mean, now he's 62, almost 63. So, uh, he literally just physically couldn't do the manual labor anymore. And he sold his equipment and called it a day when really, you know, in my opinion, he tells me all the time, I wish you would have been around like 20 years ago. So we could have built this thing. Uh, (laughs) and I could have taken all your advice, but now it's too late. Uh, in my opinion, it's never too late, but you know, that's where he was at in his uh, business journey and he called it a day. So, you know, for me, that was probably a lot of the reasons why I do what I do. So I had started my own business. It was service-based. And before I knew it, I was working 60 to 80 hours a week. I didn't mind it. I loved it. I was self-employed. I didn't have a boss. But then I realized, you know, not only can this thing not run without me, but what happens if something happened to me, you know, from a 
supporting my family standpoint from the peace of mind of, hey, if something does happen, revenue is going to continue to come in, bills are going to get paid, or what happens if something happens to you know someone in my family and I can't leave my business to take care of them and be there and support them. So that was kind of when I really realized there is a bigger purpose than just being self-employed. Uh, you know, so I took the time to put the systems and processes in place, build a team and build a business that could thrive without me because I wanted to be able to have that peace of mind while also, you know, really capitalizing on what we had built here. Because like you said in the intro, I took the risk to be a business owner. We might as well reap the rewards. Right. And so when you were, let's take ourselves a little bit, a few years back now. And growing up though, was that kind of something that was instilled in your heads, obviously, when, when you were watching your dad build this business, a self, almost like a self-employment business, right? If you think about it that way. And how was it, what was that moment like when you realized, my goodness, this is really all of these years of me understanding what business is, is no longer true. Like, was there, was there like a, a, a moment when you sit down with your dad that, you know, the light bulb hits you or was it kind of more like a gradual process from an observation standpoint where you kind of go, wow, that's, that's really something that I didn't want to do. Yeah. It's, I mean, it's an interesting topic that you bring up because like you said, growing up, the only thing I knew about owning a business was like, it was all one man band. So it was the plumber, it was the electrician, Mm -hmm. you know, it was the trades guy. It was the person that'll fix your car. All, all of that, that was, you know, there was no internet. There was no entrepreneurship, quote unquote. Uh, It was really, especially in Michigan and maybe it's the same where elsewhere, but it was a lot of blue collar, you know, Hey, this is what I do. I'm good at, and I'm just going to keep doing it. So to me, it was like, yeah, you owned your own business, but that, didn't seem, it didn't seem like you really owned a business. Like you said, it was self-employed, but I didn't know any different because I didn't know anything else existed because you kind of become a product of your environment. So once I, you know, even got, went to school and then I started climbing the corporate ladder, then I started realizing like there are a lot of different ways to make money in this world. And, you know, when I, maybe the first time I really realized it was I was working for a big bank and I was just one cog in a big wheel. And I was just one mm. number out of 40,000. And it's like, if these guys can do it, they're not any smarter than me. Like if they can hire people to do a job and they don't have to babysit you every day, I bet we can do this in the business world. Now, fast forward, I started my own business and I had hired out all the service. So we were running after school programs for elementary kids. So I had all the coaches in place, but then I didn't realize you could hire people to do like all the other stuff, like you know, answer the phone and do all the reporting and, you know, all the day-to-day operations because that's just what I did. I was working from home and I did all that while the people were out delivering the program. So it's been a constant evolution, uh, you know, but really my mission is I don't want anybody, unless they want to be self-employed and just that there's nothing wrong with that because you can make a lot of money. The key would be then taking that extra money you make and reinvesting it into something. So you do have some sort of security blanket. But if you do want to have a business that can thrive without you, uh, it's totally possible. You know, and if I was able to do it, so can other people. And I think that's really kind of my motivating factor. Right. Absolutely. And I love that you mentioned how you went from working 
in the bank, it sounds like, and then you, you started having these all these systems. So before we get to your systems and things that you've created and designed so that you have that freedom, what was that first couple of years like? Were you still working at the bank and then you kind of slowly transitioned? Was it more cold turkey? And what were some of the things that people around you, maybe even your dad or people who you trust and admire and respect, what did they say about your decision? Or did you even share it with them. <laughs> yeah. So obviously, you know, I moved originally, I moved to Chicago and had a, a nice finance job in the finance world. And everybody thought, oh, that's great for you. You know, you can climb the corporate ladder, get to the corner office. And kind of when I decided to quit, it was, it was cold turkey in the sense of like, I'm not doing two things at once. I wanted to be all in because I realized the worst case scenario really wasn't that bad. If if I quit my job, I start this business, it crashes and burns, I can always go get another job. Right. Uh, but at the same time, I wanted to be, being a finance person, I wanted to be planned, you know, I wanted to prepare. Worst case scenario from a finance standpoint, what if it doesn't work? How much money am I going to have set aside? So kind of what I did was when I moved to Raleigh, I was still working in the finance world for a very short period of time, but I was building everything on the back end because we have way more time than we think. I was working, you know, 40 to 50 hours, but I still had plenty of time to kind of build all the back end stuff. So get the bank account set up, get the legal entity set up, get, you know, all the website, everything set up. So that way when I did quit my job, I could hit the ground running and I didn't have to set all that stuff up. So that's really what I did. Uh, and I put in like a, like a six month notice. So I told my company in like, February that, Hey, I'm quitting my job in July. So I'm giving you plenty of time, uh, to hire my replacement. I'll train them. Obviously they didn't do it cause they're the corporate world and, uh, they don't, they don't move that fast. But <laughs> so I quit my job in July and just kind of hit the ground running and started, you know, really the sales process and marketing process. Cause I had really kind of built all the other stuff on the back end. So, uh, but yeah, everybody probably thought it was crazy. Obviously my loved ones, my girlfriend at the time, now wife supported me. My family supported me, but at the same time, it's like, wait, why, why are you doing what you're doing? Like, this doesn't make sense. And everybody, everybody that worked in the cube life, they're like, yeah. that's crazy. Like, yeah. You're leaving something so secure with the 401k right. and the benefits and the retire, like paid vacation. Yeah. I'm like, yeah, I am. Yeah. And we'll figure it out. So, so yeah, and at it was, that point, and at that point, ahead. and at that point, you mentioned you've already been in your, I guess your industry and in finance for a number of years, right? So you already, you're already climbing that ladder. Is that right? Yeah. So at that point I'd been almost four years. So I was in Chicago for three years. And then ironically, I quit my job to move to Raleigh. Uh, and in between, I uh, went backpacking through South America for two months. So Landed in Raleigh after being in South America for two months. And that's when I realized like there's way more to life than sitting in a cubicle. Everybody I ran into, all the locals in South America, they were way happier than anybody I ran into in Chicago. And they were probably making, <laughs> you know, a dollar a day versus, you know, a couple hundred bucks a day. So uh, to me, yeah. it was just there, there was more to life than that. So anyway, I was kind of climbing the corporate ladder. Uh, when I landed in Raleigh, I got a finance job pretty quickly just to kind of hold me over till I figured out what I really wanted to do. Uh, and that was within, like I said, I, I think I started that job in like October and I put in my notice in February and I was done in July. So uh, I was kind of building everything in the background once I got here. 
Right. And good on your good on your family, I would say, and your girl, I guess, then girlfriend, now wife for supporting you throughout that the journey. I think particularly for significant others, it can be kind of confusing if, you, if they don't have the same passion that to, to kind of see that perspective, right, to share that perspective. Was that a difficult conversation to have or was that fairly easy, I think? Uh, I think it was, well, to be honest, I don't really know what she thought, but, uh, or what her parents thought, probably that's probably the worst, you know, what, that was probably worse than what she thought. Uh, I mean, we knew each other pretty well and she supported it. And, you know, I think me move, so I moved to Raleigh without a job lined up and I got a job really quickly. So I think that was also reassuring, like, okay, if this business thing crashes and burns, we can probably go get another job type of deal. Um, but from a financial standpoint, it wasn't a huge burden because I came and crashed on her couch, basically. She already right. had a roommate. So our bills were very low. Uh, I think <laughs> our like my rent was like 300 bucks a month or something like that. Wow. So, so wow. yeah, so we figured it out. But yeah, if she wouldn't have supported me, it would have been a little bit harder because uh, I would have been on the hook if I had my own place or if I hadn't, like we were, we only had one car at the time. So we were, we were making it work uh, to, to get to where we want to go. So did you give yourself a timetable? I know, I think a lot of people who are maybe in that position when when you were, I think years ago, right? It, who's, who's still thinking about, okay, I want to make this transition. How much time do I need to give, right? And for some people, I don't know, some people give themselves years, right? But did you have a kind of a, a timetable when you go, okay, if it hasn't reaped any benefits in whatever, two years, five years, then I'm going to go back to my job. Did you have anything like that at all, Paul? Yeah. So I would say from a financial standpoint, since I was a finance person and still am, I, I had like 12 months of like living expenses kind of saved up. So I could literally not make any money for 12 months and be okay. So that was kind of my motivating factor too of we as human beings react to deadlines and incentives. So I wanted to make it work. I think where a lot of people get stuck is maybe they didn't do that legwork, but also a lot of times we try to get really creative in starting a business and try to come up with something that nobody has. And at this point in time, if nobody has come up with it, unless it's like, you know, a very one-off zero to a billion dollar company, there's probably not a market for it yet. So if there's a mar- if there's people already delivering the service or the product that you want to do, then that's kind of reassuring that, hey, if they can do it, so can I, and I'll just do it better. I'll do it different. It's a proven concept, exactly. So let's talk systems for a second here. And I'm, I'm assuming that the systems that you're talking about, you started creating it as you're transitioning. So talk about that process a little bit. What are some of the things that you felt were fundamental? Looking back, you went, this is amazing. I'm glad I had set it up. Or maybe talk about the ones that you had set up that now looking back, you realize that's unnecessary. Yeah, that's a great question. So you know, I would say the preface it, I think a lot of people wait a little bit too long because they're waiting for something to be like really pretty or really fancy in order to set up a system. And it doesn't have to be, it just has to be functional. So, you know, at first I really didn't, I was just doing it the way that I thought it should be done. Um, now I set up the back end stuff of, you know, kind of the logistics of, Hey, what do I need to do to start a business, set up a bank account, set up the legal entity, get my ducks in a row, get my custom, like get my agreements, all that kind of stuff in line. Uh, but then I just kind of, you know, more or less figured out along the way. And then when I got stuck was, you know, I was working say 60 to 80 hours a week and I needed to build a team so I could continue to grow. And so my business could thrive without me. So, you know, I would say the key is to really 
even taking a couple steps back. So when I started my business, I had reached my ultimate goal. I was self-employed. I had no boss. This is great. And then I didn't have really any goals. I was just running this business day in and day out, kind of on the hamster wheel. And once I reached that point of working 60 to 80 hours a week, then I started to question, well, why am I doing this? This doesn't really make sense unless Mm -hmm. I got a bigger vision, which will then help you build those systems because that kind of becomes your ultimate filter. So I got really clear on my personal vision. And it's my belief now and still today that our business should be a vehicle to achieve what we really want to achieve, whether it's what do we want to achieve personally or philanthropically or professionally, we need to build our business with a team in order to achieve that. So uh, that really helped me get over the hump of if I can do it, so can somebody else. Because for the longest time, as probably most of the listeners can relate, you have that mentality of nobody can do it as well as I can. It's my baby. No, no one cares as much because I own the business. And nobody else does. But once you get over that hurdle and you get your vision really clear, it makes it a lot easier to start to put those systems and processes in place. Otherwise, you'll probably never do it. So once we got to that point, I would say, you know, the number one, and I still do it today, I was doing it literally today, uh, sending some stuff for one of our employees in a landscaping company to take over, is screen recording software. So if you want anybody to do a task on a computer, you can use free software. Zoom is great. Loom is great to record a, record what you're doing on the screen. You can do a voiceover, walk them through it, and then you can literally send them that file. And now they can learn that task and they can start doing it. So that's really, you know, from a tactical standpoint, that's really what I recommend everybody do. Uh, once you start this process of, you know, creating systems and processes, you can create like, this is your business. So it's your process then whoever you give it to, they can always improve it, uh, you know, as long as the end result either stays the same or gets better. So I'm curious to hear about your opinion on, especially since you're a finance guy, I think a lot of entrepreneurs who are just in their first, whatever, couple of years of their business, they understand theoretically, right, that they have to build the systems with teams and they have to delegate and automate and all of that. But they sometimes, to your point, they sometimes get stuck on, okay, at what point financially and economically does it make sense from, you know, kind of a cost standpoint, do I start to delegate and then focus on other things? Like, is there kind of a range, do you feel now, again, looking back uh, in your business where you felt, okay, actually, once when somebody hits 50 grand, it should be fairly easy to kind of delegate, let's just say, again, you know, the recording aspect of it or software, you know, whatever, email marketing, whatever it is. Was there anything kind of more granular to, in your opinion, Paul, that you felt this could be, I think if, if entrepreneurs are a little bit more brave once they hit this range, uh, you know, what would, what would that range be if such a range exists? Yeah. So I think it, you know, it might not necessarily be arranged because every business is different. You know, an attorney is going to make probably a lot more as a one man band than sure. a lawnmower guy. But I think it really becomes when you get closer to your capacity, you literally don't have any more time in your day or mental energy to do what you need to do to continue to run your business up to your expectations. So what I find works best is literally just evaluate every single system in your business and in my opinion, there's basically five and we can walk through them pretty quickly if you just follow the customer journey. So the first system is lead generation. What, do you, what does your business do to get people interested in what you have to offer? That's your first system. The second system is sales. So how do you turn that person into a customer? The third one is customer relations. So it's the customer service, the customer experience aspect, 
kind of dealing with uh, your customers on a day-to-day basis. The fourth one is the actual service that you provide. Uh, and then the last one is all the backend operation stuff. So I recommend everybody just go through those and write down every single thing that you do in each system. And those are your individual processes. And then start to figure out, you know, where, where could we maximize my time? So there's probably a lot of things that you do that you could pay someone 10 to $15 an hour whether it's lead generation work, whether it's just answering the phone, responding to emails, sending out invoices, whatever it might be. Stuff that if you didn't have to do anymore, you could go make more money elsewhere. So it's really kind of the opportunity cost at that. So if you can outline every single process in your business and say, who really should be doing this? Should it be an office manager? Should it be an account manager? Should it be a technician? Whoever it is, and what do I have to pay that person? Oh, well, if I, you know, my time is worth as a business owner should be at least a hundred bucks an hour. Where can you start to delegate? So that way you can do five hours less of invoicing at $15 an hour in order to do five more hours of, even if you're a plumber, turning the wrench at a hundred bucks an hour. So now you're trading $15 for a hundred. You do that five hours a week. You're changing $75 for 500, which then allows you to take that money, reinvest it into additional hours to free up your business. So that's kind of how I look at it. I think the key is getting over the mental barrier that you don't need to hire someone full-time. There's virtual assistants, there's personal assistants, there's executive assistants, there's people that just want to work half day, there's people that just want to work an hour. And it's easier than ever to implement that if we just kind of open our mind and understand that we don't need someone to come into our office anymore to do this. And I don't need to guarantee 40 hours for them either. Maybe that's the goal. Get them from working 10 hours a week to 40, but you can start really as small as you want. Absolutely. And I I 100% agree with you on these five systems. And obviously, to your point, we can kind of break them down even more. So when you're talking about your systems, and in particular, these five, I guess, if you will, pillars, right? Uh, What are some of the easiest ways to start creating systems and processes today, which you've kind of touched upon earlier, but were there anything more to, to just to kind of inform these five steps and five categories as far as creating systems? Yeah, that's a great question. So what I do once I outline all those processes, so you might list out 50 act, 50 processes, 50 activities in each system, then just number them. How bad do you actually want to delegate it? So if you outline 150 activities that get done in your business, what's the one thing you want to delegate like tomorrow, if you could, and let's just work on that first. So how do we work on it? I call it perfect document and then either automate it or delegate it. So perfect the process doesn't mean it's perfect. It just means it's done in a way that somebody else can do it and you don't just wing it every time it comes up. So that way, whoever you give it to has a baseline to kind of understand this is the expectation so they can always improve it, but at least they have a baseline. And then document how it's done. So using screen recording software, or if it's an in-person activity, uh, you can just use your phone and hit record and show them how to do it. And now you have a training file with that. So then you either automate it or delegate it. So automate it, I kind of reference technology more or less. So is there a piece of technology that can automate this? So there is probably, uh, depending on what your budget is and what you want to do. So uh, the other caveat to that, I would say, is does it improve the customer experience? So there's plenty of big companies. When you call them, they have automated their phone system, and it's very annoying as a customer. <laughs> when, they're, when you're trying to talk to a robot and they keep saying, did you say this? It's like, right. no, I said this. So that's automation, but it's making the customer experience worse. So don't do that. Uh, pay somebody to answer the phone uh, and you can get an answering service if you want to do that. And then the last part is delegate. So if you can't, 
necessarily automate it to technology, then delegate it to a human being. So, and I'm curious to hear what you have in mind as far as delegating, right? Because I think most business owners know as far as training, there's turnaround, right? There's also, I guess, that learning curve a few months in, you're still teaching them or training them how to, how to, I guess, uh, use certain things that's that you have built into your business and your system. So what are some of your best practices when you're looking to hire, whether it's part-time or full-time, what are some of the best practices that you can share? Yeah, that's a great question. So I think if you have the right systems and processes, this empowers you to then hire for personality because you can train them and teach them anything as long as the personalities click with each other. So you need to hire someone that gets along with you. They believe in the same values. They have the same vision and kind of all that stuff. So what I like to do when hiring is finding ways for the candidates to kind of self-select themselves out of your process. So, you know, what, what we do in any of our companies is we'll have the job posting with clear instructions and can they follow those instructions? It might say, attach a resume. Well, did they attach a resume? And then how does the resume look? Or do they just say, I, I, we've gotten plenty of applications where they'll attach a resume that says, I don't have a resume. It's like, okay, well, you don't really want that job then. So, Uh, that's one thing. And then the other thing is, is in the application, I recommend every business owner to have questions that aren't required. So a lot of business owners think I want everything required. I want to get all the information, but I'll put a couple questions that aren't required just to see if they're willing to go above and beyond and see how bad they really want this job. If they just put NA or leave it blank, that shows to me like you really, you know, you're just kind of going through the motions and you don't really want this job. Uh, So that's another way to kind of let people self self select themselves out. Uh, another good question to ask is why do you want to work for this company? Whatever your name of your company is. And if they say, I just need a good paycheck or I just need to make money uh, or I got bills to pay, then that's probably not the best fit because they're probably going to leave you for the 25 cents an hour more, you know, next week. So finding out ways for them to self select themselves out so we can maximize our time on the people that who actually really want to work with our company. So those are just a good couple of tips. You know, there's an entire process. We could talk for a long time on it, but finding ways for them to self-select themselves out of the process. So that way, when you get to the phone interview or the in-person interview, you're only spending time with a few people who have already made it through a lot of different hoops to get to where you are. And I actually really like your tip on having questions that aren't required. I think You know, I guess that goes back to a lot of the best practices of job interviews, right? So from your standpoint as a business owner and for people who are listening and have their businesses, what are some of the things that you would be looking for? Again, it depends on the value of the companies and what shared commonalities that you're looking for, right? But what are some of the more creative answers, maybe things that are a lot that stood out to you when you see people answering those questions that are required? Yeah. So one of them is, you know, we'll say in 150 words or less or characters or less, tell us why you're awesome or tell us why you, why we should hire you or whatever. And I like to find people who took the time to like do research on your company, not just kind of the run of the mill answer of, you know, I believe in blah, blah, blah. And it's not really specific to your company. So uh, people who did the research, they read our website, they might've read our Google reviews um, and they really want to be a part of that. That shows to me that, Hey, they, you know, more or less, it's not always true. There's, there's exceptions to all rules, but it shows to me that they took the time to put a thoughtful answer together. They weren't just rushing through and applying to every job they found. 
and if they did apply to every job, at least they took the time to research the company a little bit more uh, and learn a little bit more about what we do and what we stand for and see if they align with that. So, you know, in general, I just kind of pretend that I'm on the other side. And how would I get this answer? I probably had to do some research instead of, you know, just kind of the out of the box answers. Amazing. I love that tip. Okay. So what are the four things that anybody should do before they create the systems, uh, Paul? So let's go back just a little bit. And what are some of the processes, any steps, any action steps that they, that we all need to do before we create these systems? And you have, I think, touched on a couple of them earlier. Yeah. So really, you know, I think kind of recapping it all, I think the things everybody needs to do is first, you got to get crystal clear on your vision. So where do you want to go in life? If I asked you in three years from now, what would a successful life look like? And not just in business, because I think business, like I said, is just a vehicle to get us to where we really want to go. But where do you want to be personally, professionally, uh, and philanthropically? Those are kind of the pillars in my mind of what success would look like, how many people you impact. So getting crystal clear on your vision and then actually putting a dollar amount to that. How much money do I, would I really have to make in order to make this happen? And if anybody goes through that exercise, that dollar amount is usually a lot less than what we think to at least get to that next level of our vision. So once you're clear on that, the key is to then build out your future organization. So if I get there or when I get there is what you probably should say is what would my ideal organization look like? Who needs to be in place? And it doesn't have to be people's names. It's just more or less roles and responsibilities, kind of what we talked about. So our business needs to do a million dollars. And in order to do a million dollars, we're going to need an account manager. We're going to need an office manager. We'll probably need an outside salesperson. We're going to need an operations person, maybe a virtual CFO, really outlining that org chart of this is what it'll look like in three years, or this is what it'll look like in a year. Because right now you're probably doing a lot of those things and maybe you've outsourced some things, um, but building that future organization. So now you have a target to move towards. And not only do you have a target to move towards, whenever you hire somebody, you say, this is where we want to go. And you can really take any job here. Now, now it's up to you to go get it and I'll tell you how to get it. Um, but you really have to uh, do the work that's required to become the CFO or become the account manager. And I'll help you every step of the way. So it also shows them that there is room to move up, to make a bigger difference, have a bigger impact. So once we have that, then the third thing we would do is actually make time to work on our business. So no matter where you're at in your business journey, uh, this usually falls by the wayside because we're busy working in the business too much, putting out fires, reacting to emails, reacting to employee issues. So I would protect that time, you know, like you would protect the most important time because you need to set aside that time to work on your business so if you're not right now, I recommend everyone just put aside 30 minutes a day. This is my 30 minutes to work on my business and whatever that might be. It might be creating one standard operating procedure. It might be doing a job posting. It might be evaluating obstacles, you know, figuring out what your distractions are and how you can eliminate them, working on your financials, getting to know your numbers really well, at least building that muscle and habit of every single day. I need to put on my CEO hat for at least 30 minutes to work on my business. So that's the third thing. And then the last thing we, are, we kind of covered already is kind of going through those five systems, the delegation snowball that I call it, labeling everything you do. You know, the first thing that you want to delegate, uh, do that and then move on to the next one. So if you can do those four things, it's going to make it a lot easier to put these systems and processes in place because you've taken the time to build the foundation, get clear in your vision and know exactly where you're going to go, which also makes it a lot easier for employees to understand the why of the business as well. 
Amazing. I love that emphasis on vision and projecting where you want to go, whether it's financial or just kind of more on a personal level as well. Now, if we have to go the other direction and go back, sometimes I ask my guests to share basically what are some of the things that you look back on and and regret, maybe some, not necessarily failures, but some of the things that you thought at the time was great for the business, maybe important, or maybe even just personally in relation to the business. And now looking back, you go, well, maybe that's that was not so smart. Anything like that, Paul? Yeah, I would say on a micro level, there's probably things every day that I mean, that's how <laughs> you improve your systems and processes is when they don't go as planned. And then you of say, course. OK, I tell everybody if something happens that you don't want to happen again, well, let's put a process in place so that it doesn't happen again. And that happens every day on a micro level. But I would say on a bigger level, probably putting myself personally on the back burner. You know, we always serve everybody before mm. we serve ourselves. You know, we'll, we'll work 18 hours a day and we won't exercise. We won't eat healthy. We won't take care of our relationships, our family, because if I can just do this for like another week, then we'll get there. Right. And we never get there if we make that excuse. So, you know, I would say really in the last six to 12 months, I really put a focus on just taking care of myself better, eating better, exercising regularly, uh, because the better stand, you know, the better that I am mentally, physically, I can serve people better and get to get to where I want to go quicker. So I would say that's probably the biggest mistake I made is like, hey, I got to build this business and everything else can wait. Uh, but if you wait too long, everything else might not be there, whether it's your health, your relationships, your family, uh, your well-being, your mental state. So always, you know, take care of yourself so you can take care of others. So how can somebody make sure, again, going on a micro level, how can somebody make sure on a day-to-day that they don't get sidetracked? Like, let's just use that 30-minute carve-out time that you block out for, you know, thinking big strategies for your business. Is it just a matter of sticking to the calendar? Do you rely on your team to say, okay, do not book any meetings during this time? Is it that you you kind of remind yourselves of, of what your kids need? What, what are some of the steps, action steps? from your standpoint, Paul, that ensures you to kind of essentially prioritize your health and all of these other things? Yeah. So I think really it comes down to accountability. And when we're our own boss, we can make up excuse every single day of why we're not going to do this today or why we're going to put it off till tomorrow because we don't have a boss holding us accountable. So can you surround yourself with other people? So I'm in a mastermind. They hold me accountable. We meet every week. I run a mastermind. I do the same thing for business owners uh, from a business standpoint, but I also do it you know, using my wife. So we're accountability partners. Hey, we said when we get home, we're not going to use our phones. Or we said every other week, we're going to go on a date. Whatever it is, we need to stick to it and we kind of hold each other accountable. So uh, the other thing from a personal you know, fitness standpoint, I would say is, I, I go to a gym and the trainer slash owner is there every morning and he knows the days I come in and the people that I go <laughs> exercise with know when I'm going to be there. Right. And if one of us doesn't show up, it's going to be really <laughs> hard to deal with that. So you don't want to be the only person not showing up. You don't want to be the only person who says, sorry, I didn't do what I said I was going to do. So I find accountability once you get to the point where you have kind of the self-recognition of this is what I need, because for the longest time, we all as entrepreneurs, what got us here is that mentality. If I can figure it out, I can do it my own. I don't need any help. But eventually you realize we need help. We need accountability. We need a mentor. Uh, and we, 
really to get to where we want to go, we need that in place. And it is okay. There is no trophy for doing this whole thing by yourself. Amazing. I love that. Those action steps, definitely. I think accountability and just having other people even just check in without any judgment or with judgment actually can really make you stick to your words, essentially. I love that. So Paul, we're actually coming to the conclusion of our episode here. So share with everyone where they can find you, what you're working on next, and maybe your website. Yeah. So as I mentioned, uh, my main focus is I run a mastermind for small business owners. So what I recognize even in my journey is that business ownership is a lonely world, but it doesn't have to be. So uh, really putting together a group for people who want to transform you know, their business from just being the operator to being the owner and CEO, automation, scaling, making more money, having more time, that type of thing. So uh, helping business owners reach their full potential because at the end of the day, We don't want to have the regrets of saying, man, I wish I would have done that. We've only got one shot at this. So really focusing on having, you know, being that mentor, putting together that plan and then holding each other accountable uh, is really, really powerful. So I used to do a lot of one-on-one coaching and I realized that was cost prohibitive for a lot of people, especially the people who I love working with the most. And it was kind of, you know, was really draining on my time. So uh, what I found was much better solution is putting together that mastermind direct access to me for a lot less the investment uh, and then really building those relationships, getting vulnerable, holding each other accountable. So that's what I do. If anybody's interested, I would love to set up a time to chat on the phone. If you just go to paulmaskill.com slash mastermind, go there, fill out the application and we'll chat. Just learn a little bit more about you, where you're going. Uh, and if it's something that I can help get you there, I definitely will. Amazing. Thanks so much for being on the podcast, Paul. Thank you so much. Really enjoyed it. Now, if you want a free template for reverse engineering your timeline and your goals in a chart that can make your decisions easier so that you can make your decisions with confidence and do it better, even during that bumps in the road in your business, go ahead and go to goodgrowgreat.com slash GAD, goodgrowgreat.com slash GAD for get anything done. And we'll send that right over your way so that you can get started on deciding the way Olympians do and deciding the way masters do. Until next time, growth solvers, let's keep growing.